once again. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're still here, um, is often referred to as Reformation Sunday. Um, I am not scheduled to be with you next Sunday, so I'm going to get the juices flowing for you, hopefully, um, for, so that this coming week you can take some time and reflect on some of these things so that um, it might help your celebration be all the more meaningful to you. And I wanted to do so by connecting the importance of the Reformation and the importance of our ongoing remembrance and celebration of it with what we have been talking about for the last uh, few Sundays with regards to uh, what we saw in Psalms 114 and 15, that you are what you worship. The two are connected. And we talked about um, how we are called uh, to see ourselves as God's people and the significance of that for us so that we will set those desires of our hearts on him, desires that he has given to us, desires that he has built into us because he's created us in his image, desires that have become twisted because of sin. Because of that, those desires of our hearts, because of sin, sometimes they set themselves on the wrong things. Sometimes they set themselves on the right things, but for the wrong reasons. We call this idolatry. And so if your heart is setting itself on idols, your life will tend to reflect those things and you rob yourself of the power of the life of God in Jesus Christ within you. Whereas if you are purposely cultivating the desires of your hearts and setting them on him, your life will reflect more of him and it will reflect more of the power that comes from life in Jesus Christ. Now, what does this have to do specifically with the Reformation, and how can we look more specifically at this idea by moving beyond the language of just idols to maybe considering one specific idol that you might struggle with? The idol of acceptance or the idol of approval, or the idol of people-pleasing. We, we can say this, we can describe this idol in so many different ways. What does the Reformation have to do with the idols of your heart, especially this idol of acceptance? Well, let's look at Galatians this morning. The focus of the, of the sermon is on chapter 2, verses 11 through 21, I'm going to read two verses from chapter 1, though, to kind of help set the context. All right, I just changed my mind. We're going to read several verses from chapter 1. So Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6. Hear now the word of our God. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Christ, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you 
and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be damned to hell. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now go down to 2.11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is a glorious truth that has been conveyed to us in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, in his perfect righteousness that was set before the world as he perfectly lived in devotion to you and to you alone. And in that devotion, served those who were not lovely, served those who were not friendly, served those who hated him. By going to the cross, and by dying for their sins. And we praise you that our Savior has been raised from the dead. And in his glorious resurrection, Lord, you, through him and the working of your Holy Spirit, are still speaking to us today. So speak and give us ears to listen and 
give us hearts to, to appreciate and to long for you and to give, and give us wills, Lord, that will serve you in response to all that you are and have done for us in your Son, rather than giving ourselves over to the fear of man and striving to live as a slave, seeking the approval, rather than living under the smile of our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the coming days, maybe even next Sunday, you will probably hear some of those famous Reformation phrases, sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, soli deo gloria, wonderful, exciting Latin phrases if you're into wonderful, exciting Latin phrases. What's more important is that these phrases are ways for us to embrace the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The centrality of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ has not always actually held the central focus of the church. And at different points, at points in history, at different times, there have been problems and there have been men who, who would uh, teach something that was contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the while labeling their new teaching as the gospel. When we think about the Reformation, we think about that one specific time where there was a, a huge, massive change and turning within history of, of a recovery of something that had been in the shadows for many years. And through the ministry of Martin Luther and others, there was this renewed understanding and a renewed preaching of Jesus Christ as the sole person that you needed for your salvation. You didn't need the saints who had gone before you. You didn't need the good things that they had done to be credited to your account. You didn't need uh, to have a man who was sitting there uh, listening to you confess your sins declare you to be something. You didn't need to do these extra things like buying an indulgence, like saying a certain number of Hail Marys during the day, like getting married, like any of the different requirements that the Roman Catholic Church, when you get to the 16th century, was requiring of people. And the result of all this was that people who were Christians, they lived in fear. The, the church was structured in such a way that you had to fear whether or not you ever knew what your real standing with God was. 
or you had to live in fear of making sure that whomever your priest was actually liked you well enough that he would do his job for you. And if he didn't like you, or if he was inept, you had to live in fear that you didn't have a very good priest. And I could go on and list all these different fears, but at the end of the day, the church lived in fear because they did not know where they stood with God. And the people who thought that they did know were really relying on themselves for that confidence. This is not what God has for his people, to live in fear, to live in this constant state of not knowing where you are with regards to where he is. What God has been doing for us, going all the way back to, 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 the crea to creation itself, is that he is setting himself before us and setting himself before us and doing everything that is needed for, for us to live with him and fellowship and live within his love. And, and even though in sin we, we tried to move away from him, he has been pursuing us ever since. And he is pursuing us because God doesn't function the way you and I function. You and I, when we think about love, for example, because we are created, because we are created in God's image, but also because the, the very fact that we are created inherently as dependent creatures, we are geared in such a way that we look for loveliness in something and then we respond to it. That's how God made us. God, who is not a creature, his love works differently. His love determines it's going to do something and then does it. And not because what he wants to do or is matching up to his design. He doesn't look for loveliness and then set his love on it. He sets his love on something and it becomes lovely. God's love is different than the way you and I are geared towards love, either by way of our design, but especially with regards to our sin. And the result is that you and I, we have this desire to be loved. We have this, this, this built-in desire to be accepted. We have this built-in desire to, to be a part of a group. And we have this built-in desire of, of having this acceptance where we feel important, where we, our lives feel meaningful, like we're a part of something, like that we're connected to what is real and what is important. But that sin that is at work within our hearts, it is constantly wrestling against us. And it directs us 
to try to find that acceptance in the wrong places. Or even we set our hearts, as we said, on good things, but we do so for the wrong reasons. This is the very nature of what idolatry is. Idolatry is not simply that you make a little statue and that you pray to it. Idolatry is taking something other than God and setting your hopes upon it and looking to it for your significance, looking to it for your meaning, looking to it for your purpose, looking to it to fill that desire for acceptance. And when we approach that God-given desire for acceptance, but we approach it through an idolatrous manner, the result is not only do we not find the satisfaction that our hearts are looking for, we hurt others in the process. And even more than that, what we do is we contradict the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what is unfolded for us here in this exchange between Paul and Peter that took place at Antioch. The entire first two chapters of Galatians, Paul is contrasting his call to ministry and his discipleship in the ministry that led to, to his gospel, as it was being called, Paul's gospel. And he, he lays out the history, and he says, look, churches in Galatia, y'all have a big problem. People are confusing you, and you're starting to buy into something that's not true. What we need to do is we need to reset things, we need to recalibrate things, and the gospel that I am preaching is what you need and not, not because the big names say that my gospel is right. It's because I received my gospel from Jesus Christ himself. I was discipled by Jesus Christ. I didn't go when I became a believer, when I converted from persecuting the church to embracing Jesus Christ. I didn't run up to Jerusalem. I didn't run up to the apostles and say, hey, y'all teach me. God led me away, and he taught me himself. I did go and, and stand you know, before some men, and, and we talked about the gospel that I'm preaching, and it was affirmed, but not... Not because the church said I'm right, what they saw was that what I was preaching is what comes from Jesus. So they weren't, through their authority, saying Paul's right. They were, they were recognizing the rightness of the gospel that had come to me from Christ. Now why is that important? Because there are big names who are participating in muddying the gospel. What they are doing 
is rather than preach the complete work of Jesus Christ that is to be received by faith and by faith alone, instead, what they are preaching is this. If you really want to be a Christian, then yes, you embrace Jesus Christ and you eat according to the Jewish food laws. Yes, you embrace Jesus Christ, but you also make sure you get circumcised. Yes, you embrace Jesus Christ, but you also make sure you are participating in the sacrificial system. Yes, you embrace Jesus Christ, but so on and so on and so on and so on. We're going to add one work after another, after another, after another. What was being dealt with at the Reformation in the 16th century was something that was being dealt with in Galatia just a couple of decades after the life and ministry of Jesus. The heart of man loves to chase after even God himself in a way that is inconsistent with how God has told us and what God has given us. Now, what's the big deal about this? Well, the big deal here is that the Apostle Peter, when these men come in, what the Apostle Peter does is he stops eating with Gentiles. He withdraws away from the Gentiles, and he is only fellowshipping with these big names these big, important people that have come from Jerusalem. Now, why is that a big deal to Paul? Is it a big deal because, well, that's not nice. Peter, you weren't very friendly. Peter certainly is not being very Southern, right? Well, maybe. You can hear him when he's eating with the leaders from Jerusalem saying, bless their heart. But besides that, what's the big deal here? What's the big sin here? It's not hypocrisy, by the way. Hypocrisy came from the big sin. Paul tells us, your conduct is contrary to the gospel. Notice that. He doesn't say what you've done is you've rejected the truth of the gospel and what you're teaching. He doesn't say Peter has has left the true gospel for a a false gospel because those leaders came and they convinced him of a better argument. What he doesn't say is that what Pe- the, the, the problem with what Peter did was that he just didn't behave right. It's that what he did contradicts the gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically here within Galatians 2, Paul has something very specific in mind. And that is what we refer to as the doctrine of justification by faith. Or what we refer to when we are thinking about the Reformation, what is summarized in that little phrase, sola fide, by faith alone. Paul's very clear. 
Peter, even we who are Jews, who grew up Jewish, we don't follow the old covenant law in order to be justified before God. Now, before I go any further, what does it mean to be justified? The New City Catechism, I looked it up, says justification means our declared righteousness before God. All right, what does that mean? What does it mean to be declared righteous before God? Let me boil it down. What it means is this. Even though you and I still sin, God accepts us as if we are as righteous as his son, Jesus Christ. The doctrine of justification is about acceptance. It goes to the very heart of the craving of our souls, of having been created for God and then separated from him by our sin, that what he is doing is overcoming that sin in so many different ways. Specifically within justification, what he is overcoming is the alienation and the judgment, the curse that we deserve because of sin. He is overcoming all of it. And not only to forgive us of sins, beloved, but to declare us righteous. Jesus Christ was perfectly devoted to his father. He never engaged in idolatry because Jesus never looked for his acceptance any other place than what he had already enjoyed with his father for all eternity. His very life was an expression of acceptance. His incarnation was the literal embodiment of acceptance between God and his son. And as his son took on flesh, God and humanity. And that devotion of Jesus Christ, as he was the embodiment of that devotion, it expressed itself over and over and over as he perfectly loved God and as he perfectly loved his neighbor. In Peter's desire for acceptance, he was willing to contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ because he was looking for his acceptance with those important religious authorities from Jerusalem rather than living out the perfect eternal acceptance that he was already enjoying with his triune God. Beloved, that's the nature of the idol of people-pleasing. Is as a believer, if you have embraced Jesus Christ by faith and by faith alone, that you are looking to Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, 
What we are told is that when you are united to Jesus Christ, you, when you are made alive with Jesus Christ, you are raised up and you are seated with him in the heavenlies because this is where you now live as one who is accepted as righteous. The Lord looks on you and he doesn't see your efforts. He looks on you and he doesn't see, well, how religious were they this week? He looks on you and he doesn't say, well, you know what? At least he has Mary praying for him. He looks at you and he doesn't look at anything else other than you and what he has chosen to do out of his love is to look at you, but look at you through his son, Jesus Christ. So that what he sees in you is his son. What he sees in you is Jesus. What he wants from doing this is for you to trust him and to continue to grow in giving him your devotion. He accepts you as perfectly devoted so that your growth in devotion is not to attain something that you don't have, it's to express what is already yours. But the centrality of the gospel here in Galatians 2, the centrality of the gospel with regards to the Protestant Reformation is not simply talking about the importance of this for salvation. It's talking about the importance of this for mission. What happens when Peter gives in to the idol of people pleasing by, by you know, contradicting the, the finished work of Christ and, and, and going over with the religious authorities? Does he go by himself? Is this something he just does personally? No. What we are told are that other Jews who were there, they followed. They went with him. Now think about that for a moment. Peter never here contradicts in terms of his teaching justification by faith alone. But through his behavior he does. And he leads people with him so that they also participate and they contradict the gospel as well. And what is the result? There's division within the church. And who is the division between? Those who consider themselves to be the religious elite versus those who would be described as the most needy. The religious elite, the religious authorities, the people who are really part of God's plan because they were born Jews versus the least of these. These who, you know, they get the crumbs. They're not as important. And so because of that, it's not a big deal if we, because we have this heightened sense of who we are, we just, you know, fellowship with people who are just like us and we forget about the little people who are behind. By Peter 
contradicting the gospel through his people pleasing. It changed the mission of the churches in Galatia. Sometimes the recovery of the gospel is not simply a doctrinal moment, but it is a missional one. And it is good when we remember the Reformation and when we celebrate this recovery of the centrality of the gospel and we, when we work through these different solas of the gospel, this is important, and we want to grasp hold of the doctrinal truth that is part of what is going on, but we also have to make sure that in rehearsing and celebrating those things, that it becomes something that we use to look at ourselves with regards to what am, where is my hope? Who am I serving? Have I been caught up into the fear of man so that I am looking for my acceptance from the people around me? Am, am I looking for acceptance in the wrong places? And is it leading me to be robbed of the power of who I am in Jesus Christ? Through my people pleasing, through my fear of man, when I think that God is small and that people around me are huge, Am I contradicting the hope of Jesus Christ to those people? Because that's what the Reformation is about. Not simply recovering truth, but recovering the proper mission of the church of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are that temple of God in Jesus Christ, as we talked about. And that privilege that we have is that we are the place on earth where God's love is found, where God's mercy is found, where God's grace is found, where God's hope is found, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is found. And what we are reminded of here is that we have to constantly reorient ourselves to this gospel so that we can combat that idol of the heart that seeks acceptance in the wrong things or even the right thing for the wrong reasons. And in recalibrating ourselves to the gospel, we recalibrate the congregation to the gospel. Because the mission of the congregation can only go so far as the mission is saturated in the gospel. The recovery of the gospel and the Reformation is a recovery of the mission of Jesus Christ so that you and I can be freed not simply from the power of sin and the, or the, the penalty of sin, but so that we can be freed from the power of sin, the power of sin that robs us from enjoying the freedom from the penalty of sin that we have. In Jesus Christ, you are accepted as righteous. And when you don't live in the enjoyment of that identity in Jesus Christ, you rob yourself of the power 
and you rob the mission of the church. What if Peter, rather than looking for his acceptance through these important men from Jerusalem, what if Peter instead was living in the celebration and appreciation of his acceptance with God and Jesus Christ? What if that's what Peter would have done when these men would have come saying, no, 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 these people aren't Jewish enough for us to accept them? What if he would have responded as one who is living and cultivating his acceptance already? then not only would he have not have contradicted the gospel and hurt people to elevate himself, what he would have done is he would have manifest the accept, that acceptance of Jesus Christ by putting himself down in order to raise the Gentile believers up. Is that not the ministry of Jesus Christ? the one who in his perfect devotion to his father was willing to give up the glory he was due for a time in order to come to earth, to be humble to the point of taking on flesh, to be humble to the point of becoming a servant, to become humble to the point of being a servant unto death in order to be raised to life to be exalted back to the right hand of his father so that he would not be there alone but would to take with him in the train of the robes of his righteousness some from every tribe, tongue, and nation so that the heavenly places and the new heavens and the new earth will be full of worshipers of Jesus Christ because he was willing to be humbled to help others to become exalted. And that, beloved, is the mission of Jesus Christ, and that is the mission that we have as his church. And if we are not recalibrating ourselves over and over and over to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will tend to think that the people around us are there to make us better, to make us feel better, to feel more welcome, or to feel more accepted. And we will use them, and we will put them down in the process. Is the history of the church here in America not a display of that? The history of the church here in Charleston, South Carolina. We would rather have the approval of our neighbors than to stand up for the rights of the African slaves. We would rather have the approval of our neighbors than to drink out of the same water fountain or to use the same restroom or to refuse to eat at the same lunch counter. Or this way, sorry. I got turned around. Isn't it ironic that in the Jim Crow era, one of the primary expressions of the racism here in the South was in not eating together? And we think 
that it's just about food or it's just about social acceptability. Beloved, it was about the gospel. And it still is. Where is your hope? Where is your acceptance? What are you willing to risk in the temporary life of this world because of the eternal acceptance you have with your Father through Jesus Christ? Let the Reformation celebration in this coming, this coming week be a celebration as we recover justification by faith alone as a recovery of the centrality of the good news that sinners are accepted by God as though they are as righteous as Christ. And that this is a recovery that the acceptance that you have with God and Christ is totally complete and lacking nothing. And that the acceptance you have with God in Christ frees you to live out your identity rather than to live for it. And that the acceptance you have with God and Jesus Christ empowers you to live out the greatness of a servant in being a blessing to others. Beloved, all you need is Christ and the imaginative faith to open yourself up to experience him and to embody him to those around you. As Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, your love is so different than ours. We are so apt to allow our love to take us into the wrong places. We are so apt to allow our love to take us to things that are already beautiful in, rather than to allow our love to take us to that which needs beauty. Lord, it is amazing to us that your Son, our Savior, gave up eternal glory for a time, not to come be an earthly king, but to be an earthly pauper and to be an earthly sacrifice. But Lord, this is not only what you do, it's the way that you do things. And so help us to re-embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ in a fresh way today so that we might have a proper understanding of who we are. And who we are in Jesus Christ is perfectly acceptable to you. We don't need anyone else's approval. We have all the approval that could ever exist. And so, Lord, drive home to our hearts the approval in which we live so that rather than using the people around us, we 
would allow ourselves to be used by them in order that we might be a presentation of the Christ who suffered in order to be raised and glorified. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to impress upon us the real world reality of our hypocrisy when we act contrary to the gospel because of the social pressures in which we live. Lord, convince us that the social pressures themselves are nothing more than an indoctrination into the idols of this world and that because we do not long to become like them, we will continue to give our hearts to you over and over and over. So Lord, receive us in the devotion of the sacrifice of our praise today and set us, Lord, set in our hearts that eternal reality that as we go back out from this place, even when we go back out in sin, our standing is ever and always as your beloved children, as you will always see Christ in us because of your love and not because of our works. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's respond to this word of God to us today as we celebrate once again that power of the cross of Jesus Christ, not only for our salvation, but for the mission of our church, the power of the cross. Let's stand together as we sing.